Hello, this is David Thompson, and it's now 2023 on January the 3rd. For those of you that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There you will find a flip book that you can read for free. It has very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. And there's a lot of print that is highlighted in red. Those are actually links that go to YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing, that highly confirm from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am about to share here. And what am I sharing about? I'm sharing about the very source of reality, the ultimate perfection and source of love, the ultimate manifestation of love, the one true eternal God. I'm going to make my introductions a lot shorter. I've been kind of having a lot of introductions in these meetings. It's kind of long and you have to skip ahead and maybe even this time five minutes, but sometimes my introductions go on for 12, 15 minutes. That's too long. So I want to be brief on introducing what I'm sharing here. The Word of God says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God in 1 Peter 4.11. And that is what I will seek to do in this message, to speak, allowing God by his Spirit to speak through me what he is saying to you as an individual, to myself, and to the body of Christ <clears throat> around the world at this particular time. Now, there's another verse, Revelations 19 10 that says worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. <clears throat> Excuse me here. Still got a bit of phlegm from some kind of a cold I have. Um, worship Jesus for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and truth out of a heart of great reverence and humility and love for God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterance coming out of us that is prophetic. In other words, we are speaking as the oracles of God. And this was the way it was in the beginning, that when the church came together, they all sought to speak as the oracles of God, to allow God to speak through them, to allow the gifts of the spirit to flow through them in the gatherings around Jesus Christ. And so I will seek to do that. And one of the things I do to facilitate doing that is I meditate on two chapters. But those two chapters are received by the casting of Lot. And of course, I only meditate on them for a half an hour and then I speak the message. Now, the reason I cast Lot's is because I want God to have the opportunity the greatest potential to give me the passages that he would have me to speak on. And why there's so little preparation is because I want to speak out of a heart set and mindset of worship that I may speak as the oracles of God or prophetically. And so I will be sharing the two chapters I received today by the casting of Lot on January the 3rd, also touching on yesterday as I didn't speak yesterday, most likely. I will touch on that as well. But before we get into this message, I want to have a worship song that we will play right now. 
and that is often taken by the casting of Lot. And I got a good one today, but I'm very fussy, so I didn't want to take that one because I wanted better words, better tune. I want them all to be on YouTube video with the print in front of them. And so I'm very fussy in that matter, um, particular. So I just chose one this day that I knew would be more on topic with the message after meditating on those two chapters. And so this is the one I've chosen today. Here we go.
And so there we have a song, <clears throat> Confessions in Humility Before God, acknowledging in repentance where we've fallen short, confessing our sins, but also realizing our utter need for God to consume us with his being of love and of holiness, to bring us into that place of such transformation in conformity to his image, where we hate what God hates out of his love that is contrary to his love with the intensity that he hates it with, and love what God loves with the intensity that God in his love loves what is in conformity and union with his love. And so this message today, you will discover, <clears throat> has a common theme of repentance in it. I'm just turning right now to the two chapters that I received today, Genesis 19 and Psalms 51. <clears throat> and the outstanding verses in those two chapters are as follows, beginning in Genesis 19, we read, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, and upon Gomorrah. And Sodom means fettered, and Gomorrah means bondage, in the original wording. The Lord rained upon, <clears throat> fettered, and upon bondage, brimstone and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife, that's Lot's wife, looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. That's in Genesis, and that's basically the account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Psalms, we read the following. Psalms 51 is a psalm of repentance. It says, against thee, thee only. That's verse, I'm not sure what verse that is. For some reason, it didn't bring in the verse. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Now that translated, that last verse I just read, um, 
in translation in the Christian Standard Bible is, Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. And certainly, for there to be genuine repentance before God, there must be that absolute humility that is willing to confess and forsake our sins. And so there's the need for integrity in our hearts before God and transparency before him, not to hide, not to deceive ourselves, but to be allowing God to search our heart. As King David said, search me and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. It is better to allow God to deal with us through trials and situations to say, Lord, I'd rather you put me through trials and expose the deception that is in my heart so that it becomes evident and I can see it for the ugliness that it is and cast it off as a filthy garment and abhorrence of true repentance than to go on in a life of ease and have these things in my life that when I am confronted in a situation later on in life, I compromise and I lose out in God's ultimate purpose and calling for which he created me for eternity. I mean, when you think of eternity or you think of your ultimate destiny, this life is insignificant. It says in the word of God, this life is as a vapor that comes and passes away. And yet some people are so caught up with this temporal realm and their immediate fulfillments in this life, whatever that might be, in they are totally given into those things and are not willing to let go. God is calling us as his people to be those that are not captivated by the loves of the world because that brings bondage. It brings Sodom, which means fettered, and Gomorrah into our heart. It puts us in a place of bondage. When we don't choose the highest good for ourselves, and we continually are doing that, we are continually in a cycle that is ever increasing in a direction to our own undoing and eternal torment and separation from the very source of harmony and love who God is. A realm that is the opposite of love if we have not come to that place of genuine conversion where we've turned to Christ Jesus our Lord and made him our Lord and Savior. It goes on to say in Psalm 51, verse 16 to 17, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Again, we see the importance of genuine humility before God that births a brokenness that breaks up the hardness in the heart. There's the continual whirl in all of our lives of what happens in the busyness of this life and this world system that's so geared to get us into a spin of busyness caught up in our own little world to survive or whatever it is. And in the process it is like the electrons spinning around the nucleus of the atom that form a hard shell. And the only thing that breaks that hard shell 
is a positive and a negative in electricity that shatters that cell in the natural. And of course, the negative represents a foundation that is indestructible, a cutting off of all corruption, and that is represented in the being of God's love that is so integrous that it will always choose the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, because any lesser choice, as is such, would have a measure of corruption in it or a destructive principle that results in something less than eternal life or going on forever. The being of God's love is as a blazing fire of judgment, a consuming fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. That is the holiness of God, the integrity of his love. And it is only out of that that there can be formed the positive symbol by crossing out that symbol, the negative symbol, with something very positive, the ultimate positive. And that is that God's love has always been so great in the eternity of the past, the present, and in the future that he could always have that quality and capacity that capacity and quality of being to have come and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffered more than you, a mere creature, on the cross out of love for you so that you could repent and be forgiven of your rebellions against God and be reconciled to him. And the genuine fear of God is the reciprocation of the being of God first in his holiness, the integrity of his love, out of which then there can be properly reciprocated the being of God's love in the ultimate aspect of his love that he could have such a great love to be a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for you as was demonstrated in history in this world in Jesus Christ on the cross. The genuine fear of God is a choice to turn towards God and reciprocate God and those two qualities and only those two qualities have what is ultimately trustworthy and result in a response of faith towards such a love that can reciprocate that love with a total awareness that he is ultimately trustworthy and ultimately God. Every other has the doubt as it did with Edom, she, Eve. She lost the fear of God when she bought into the doubt of Satan that God was less than ultimately trustworthy. She lost sight of the goodness of God's love and its integrity to be ultimately trustworthy and ultimately good towards her by buying in to the lies of Satan. <clears throat> God wants us to be those that learn to be as King David, having a genuine heart of repentance. What caused Lot to compromise and seek the things that he sought that brought him to almost the destruction of himself as well as his wife, which did become a so she did become a pillar of salt. 
There was only a few that escaped Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his two daughters. His wife looked back. And it is interesting that those that have experienced physically dying have also had a similar experience in regards to looking back. Now, I've just finished publishing a book on the internet called Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, which is 367 pages in print. But you can get it in Kindle for a very low price right now in Canadian of 544, and I think it's 399 in American. Or is it, no, it's 299, I believe. Anyhow, um, <clears throat> I have it at a very low price there right now. But there is various ones that in their experience when they died, they sensed this darkness behind them. And these were people that weren't really deeply converted. Let's put it this way. Their parents had prayed for them a lot. And at the last moment, they prayed a prayer like the thief on the cross. And this fellow was an atheist. And at the last moment, he's praying this prayer saying, God, forgive me as he knows he's about to die. But he says, when he started to look back, being aware of a darkness behind him, that he knew right away he could not continue to look. And he remembered the story of Lot's wife that turned to salt. And he knew right away he had to turn away because that was going to pull him in to a place of hell and total eternal turmoil. If he continued to look at that, but he turned back to the light and looked at God and looked towards the light that was drawing him in the right direction. God is calling us to not look at the world and the things that are deceiving us and almost hypnotic in our lives that we can be drawn away with at times. It's like the flute players playing to this particular snakes and they can hypnotize them. It says that they that observe lying vanity shall forsake their own mercy, even absorbing, observing lying vanities and entertaining them in our hearts can have a terrible effect on what results in our life if we do not repent and continue to feed imaginations in our heart that are unholy. One thing I am concerned about in certain charismatic movements and churches today is that they can emphasize, oh, I'm a king and priest with God and I have all this power and I can confess Jesus and, and all of these things and I'm positive and I believe in being positive and so on and so forth. That's all good and fine in its proper context. And the context is that you are living a life that is filled in your heart with the love of God, which is a life of holiness. It is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. But the heart that speaks and has been entertaining lying vanities is not going to be speaking what is in any way going to carry the power and the anointing of the Spirit of God to result in the power of God being manifested with deliverance in our lives personally and for those that we are seeking to bring the love of God to. 
God is calling us as his people in this hour to return to the absolute awe and fear of God. The fear of God is why King David had a genuine heart of repentance. That is why it says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Most of the churches now, they want all the joy, and I'm all for the joy, and I believe that those, that's very important manifestation of the Spirit. But here is the issue. If we do not know what it is to have a broken and a contrite heart before God, if we do not know what it is to turn with all our heart and to circumcise our heart out of the genuine fear of God and to enter into that awesome awe of God. So that as this song said, we're laying our all in the altar, feeling our helplessness in ourselves to even have the strength to live a victorious life. But we bring ourselves before God in honesty and humility until his fire falls with anointing to enable us to walk in his power and authority so that when we speak, we speak out of the spirit of God because we are living a life that is holy. But if we justify uncleanness in our heart, that we can entertain, entertain sexual things in our heart and sexual habits. There are many charismatic teachers that are saying nowadays, oh no, that's okay, God accepts these things. That's not what the word of God taught. That's not what Christ taught. He emphasized to the Pharisees, in your heart are these things, adultery, fornication, and so on. He said, whoever looks at a woman to lust after even, he, that person has committed adultery in his heart. God is calling his people to holiness out of a love relationship with God that is birthed out of the genuine fear of God in this hour. So that we are not mesmerized in entertaining the things of the world in our heart that would draw us away into a counterfeit where we can be those that really are not clothed in righteousness. It is in the book of Revelations believe it's chapter 16, <clears throat> that you have at the last part of the reign of the Antichrist, God speaking to the church at that time and saying, in the midst of this time of great deception, that he is going to come as a thief and blessed is he whose garments are not filled with shame. I would, I think instead of doing that, maybe I can quickly turn to that verse in Revelations chapter 16 right now, which isn't something I was planning on going to and talking about. I'll guess about what whereabouts it is here and try to get that verse quickly. It's the sixth seal You've got the three unclean spirits as frogs that come out of the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, and the false prophet. And they're the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them together to the battle that great day of God Almighty. And here's what God is saying to the church at this time. This is at the last part of the reign of the Antichrist because it's the sixth seal just before the seventh seal when the Lord returns. 
He says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. We must keep our garments. Now, I am a single person, and I'm 74 years old, and God, time and time again, when I wanted to marry a lady that I fell in love with, somehow, because of God's calling in my life, she went for another man, and it broke my heart. And that's happened more than once. I've always been single, never married. And if you think it's been easy for me being single because I'm a natural person with natural drives, I know what it is to have problems with entertaining lust in my mind when I go to sleep. But I don't allow myself to justify it and say, oh, God understands. No, I repent until I finally overcome, not my strength, but by acknowledging my weakness before God, laying myself on the altar until the anointing comes and strengthens me. I say, God, take away that desire. God, help me. God is calling us to holiness and purity. It is essential for us. And don't talk about confessing this and that and you got power. You have no power if you're not living in a life that is pure and walking in the light as he is in the light. If you have unconfessed sins, your garments are stained. It's when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he is coming for a bride that is pure and spotless. That doesn't mean that we justify sin in our lives. It means that we walk in holiness. He says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. He is calling us out of this world system in this time to form Christian community in an hour and a time when there's going to be great economic collapse and there's not going to be much in the stores. And the church better wake up and repent. I hear pastors, and I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be critical. I try my best not to be critical, to be in humility and understanding. But I hear pastors talking about how they watch all these sports games. How is it that they can do that? Am I going to say and condemn them for doing it? No. But I will say this, that if that's what they're occupied with in their personal lives... And they're not praying and they're not seeking God. And they're caught up with these things and spend significant time in that kind of stuff. They're not in a place that fulfills the word of God that says we're to redeem the time because the days are evil. Why would we find fulfillment in things like that if we know the fullness of the spirit of God in our lives? It's far more entertaining and satisfying than anything like that. And then we wonder why. People can get up and talk about revival and show off themselves and all of this and do all this stuff. But where's the power? Where's the demonstration of the Spirit? I want to see the reality of it. I want to see a church service where the glory of God comes down and where people spontaneously can speak forth out of the utterance of the Spirit as the God moves upon them. 
And we have a beautiful smorgasbord because of all the different testimonies and words that are shared. And then that's all confirming whoever is going to do the speaking at the end. Oh, there's so much to share on that area. So I've touched basically on what is here today in the Word of God. But I want to touch on also what I received yesterday before I close. What is God saying? What did he say on Monday? He gave me Psalms 145 and Galatians 2. Now those two chapters reveal that the fear of God negates the pride of self-righteousness. This self-righteousness is not only manifested in the keeping of the ceremonial laws of Israel. Even Paul didn't keep those ceremonial laws but also in the denominational molds that churches require of people through their deeds that they also may outwardly deny. What I mean is that I can go to a church and if I don't fit into their mold because they do things a certain way, then they're looking at me with suspicion, distancing, telling people, oh, don't talk to me. Oh, don't take, you know, I give my card out because I have ministry on the internet. I notice this. Oh, they're worried. Well, I can understand. The shepherd should care for the sheep. But why don't they come to me and get to know me? Because I'm different? Because I don't fit into their mold, whatever that mold is that they're under? God is calling his church to come out of every denominational mold in these last days to fulfill John 17. I'm amazed at the immaturity of some pastors that do that kind of stuff. Don't even try to get to know the person and right away make assumptions and judgments because they don't fit into their little mold. God forbid that that should be the case. We are in a time when we need to learn to love one another and receive one another as Christ received us. Now, those two chapters, I'll just touch on some of the verses in them. First, it was Psalm 145, and there we read this. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord and thy saints shall bless thee. And then we further read, beginning in verse 17, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. Remember what King David said about truth in the inward parts in the King James, or integrity deep within our innermost being. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. I've been talking about the fear of God, which involves a turning to God. It is that faith that works by love. It is a response in faith to what can only be ultimately trustworthy, which is this being of God. And first of all, the integrity of his love out of which issues the ultimate manifestation of his love and mercy. And you can never know the mercy of God or receive it until you fully receive the integrity of God's love and acknowledge your undoneness before him and your need of his mercy. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. That's what the word 
says in Colossians. And so we read here that he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. We go on to Galatians. That was the other chapter I received. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. This is in the context of circumcision, some outward performance that people thought you had to do to be accepted by God. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law that I might be, live unto God. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Righteousness doesn't come by us having our prayer times and us doing this and doing that. It comes from the deep turning of the heart out of the genuine fear of God. The reciprocates by faith the love of God. Faith works by love, as it says in the word. And that comes out of the genuine fear of God. We reciprocate God's love and that causes a faith toward God in love that is expressed. We go on and we have another similar verse that touches on this in Romans 3, 27 to 31. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works, nay, but by the law of faith. See, pride in our own righteousness or being in our own sufficiency and being like the Pharisees saying, I thank God that I fast three times a week that I pray all these hours and, and, and I'm not like that publican over there beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. No. We need to come before God in humility and integrity with a heart that's totally honest and transparent with God until we know the breaking and the melting in our heart, until we know a deep circumcision in our heart. And so we read here, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. When we have faith in God and we love God, it is nothing for us to fulfill the law which is basically summed up in loving God with all our being and our neighbors ourselves. It's nothing to do that. Now, I did receive um, the day before this, Ezekiel 28, 12 to 18, which I had spoken on briefly, about the king of Tyrus and how Satan possessed him and God begins talking to the king of Tyrus and not talking to the king of Tyrus, but to Satan, who possessed the king of Tyrus. 
uh, about his, him being in the Garden of Eden and walking among the stones of fire before the throne of God and so on. But what was the problem with the king of Tyrus? He believed he was so wise. He was puffed up to the point that he said, I am God. And they say his wisdom was so great that it was even in his eyes, I guess, in the eyes of many, greater than any wisdom in the world. But that wisdom was coming from the power of Satan. And in these last days, when Satan comes on the scene, he's not going to be some person that doesn't have wisdom. He's going to have wisdom, but it's not going to be the wisdom of God. He's going to be very attractive, just like Nimrod was. He was 16, 15, almost 16 feet tall. You can see his image is drawn in certain Egyptian writings. He was the first pharaoh, very strong evidence that he was. Way taller than a normal human being. There was a few others that were really super tall at that time too. But Nimrod was very wise. He was a great singer and he, he gave beautiful words of wisdom and he was very attractive and very tall. In fact, they found what they believe is the tomb of Nimrod, which there is videos on it. I've seen, they believe it was... He's been hidden away. He was well-preserved. Uh, and I think it was the Dutch government that got him, if I remember right, took his tomb. But um, he could be raised from the dead as that wound that had the deadly wound who was raised in the last days. The beast that was and is not will come on the scene and be filled with all his wisdom and power. The question is, if, if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, we're not going to be deceived in these last days by a spirit of pride and self-righteousness that causes us not to have those garments that are spotless, but we will be the bride that is ready for his coming. Not those that can see the weirdness and the religiousness that causes shame. And, you know, I, I, I can't believe it. You know, some people that call themselves Christians believe in a flatterer. Well, I can tell you right now, that is lunacy. The spirit of lunacy has been attacking the body of Christ. This has become a big movement among Christians to believe in a flat earth. Can you imagine it in these last days? The deception and the spirit of lunacy that is coming upon the world. I couldn't believe it that they had that on the Stu Peters show. To me, it, it was a terrible thing. I hope Stu Peters makes it clear. He doesn't believe in that kind of nonsense. That is absolute lunacy. You'd have to conclude that all the spaceships that are going into outer space is all just a film and that is not true and real that they're just manufacturing it. Come on, that's not reality. Are we those that are going to be deceived in these last days so that the world looks and laughs at us and because we our garments have been defiled because somewhere we're not confessing our sins, we're justifying unholiness and that's resulting in a pride creeping into us and a counterfeit wisdom that misrepresents the glory of God because it falls into the spirit of lunacy. God forbid that we in these last days should identify with such foolishness. We are those that love truth and that test the truth with the fire of truth to know if indeed it is the truth. We're to prove all things and hold fast to what is good. Oh, you have people nowadays saying they have all these trips to heaven and yeah, this person that died of an overdose of drugs, they, they found them in heaven and even in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yeah, you have someone teaching that. And they say they've had more than a thousand trips to heaven. 
And the church swallows that? Do you think God wants people to believe that and wants someone to believe that such people entered the kingdom of heaven and are in the marriage supper of the Lamb? This kind of deception is creeping into the church. We're not being like the church at Ephesus, trying those that say they're apostles that are not and finding them liars. No, we don't want to be like Ephesus and lose our first love either. No, we don't want to be that. We want to be those that fulfill a love relationship with God in the fullest like the Church of Philadelphia. Oh, I could go on preaching for a long time about the Church of Ephesus here. I better forbear. God bless you and thank you for listening to this message. God is calling the church to humble themselves, to enter into the genuine fear of God, to repent of this self-righteousness in a denominative mindset where you do not receive one another wholeheartedly in fervent love as Christ received you. You got your little mold. And if people don't fit into your little mold, you don't receive them. You fail to look past all of that, to see their heart is for God. You fail to see the love of God and want to wash their feet as Christ called us to do with one another. Wake up, church, and repent and come back to your first love. Repent of the gods of amusement. You spend hours watching sports. You spend hours spending all your time doing all of these things. And you spend very little time in prayer. I have a book called God Headship and Body Invasion that you can purchase on Amazon about everything that you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. Are you going to respond and catch the vision in these last days to conquer your nation with the gospel? I am sad to report that in Brazil, Bolsonaro and all the people that wanted freedom had the election stolen and now this evil dictator has taken over because one of the generals in the army of Bolsonaro blocked the army from attacking and overthrowing this creep. I pray that the church in Brazil starts to repent and turn to God, that God intervenes and delivers them at this time, because that was the last stronghold of fall in South America for the Chinese Communist Party. Now they got the whole of South America. We are living in serious times, and church, you better get up and wake up. Do you know what has come out in the Rasmussen poll recently? About how many Americans know someone that suddenly dropped dead from the vaccine? 27% about how many Americans believe the vaccine is doing permanent and terrible damage to people that have taken it? 47%. Check out the Rasmussen poll on it. Go there yourself. The statistics are alarming. Do you think the news media will report on that? No. They're all controlled, taken over by these communists. We are living in a time where you better wake up and be prepared for what faces us. We are in a battle. And maybe God will bring freedom back to the nation if we repent and turn to him with all our heart. Thank you for listening to this message. May God bless you all.